Morning, everyone. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a few questions. First is this. I'm going to have the next slide there, Gareth, please. How does adversity affect your faith? Whenever adversity comes, for whatever reason and in whatever form, does your faith stretch or does it feel like it's about to snap? Is your faith elastic? Is it capable of being stretched without breaking no matter what? We'll come back to those questions in a moment. We as a church, as Marcus said, have recently started to read or reread the Old Testament book of Daniel. And, and as we're doing that, and this is week three, we're discovering that Daniel and his three friends were deep people. Deep people who, who kept the faith in what was a really difficult and hostile and pagan environment and context. And so as we read their story, what we're attempting to do is discover what was it that characterized their deep faith. And we're asking, what is it that characterized their deep faith in order that we can learn from their experiences and from their example to ensure and encourage us to keep the faith, which is the title for this series. And so far, what we've done is we've identified seven or eight characteristics of deep people. In week one, based on Daniel chapter one, we said deep people are those who engage with culture but know where to draw the lines. They engage with culture but know where to draw the lines. The second characteristic of deep people we said in week one is that they know God is in control. Even though there are times whenever circumstances Whenever realities suggest and imply that God has lost control, deep people have confidence that God is sovereign. In week two, which was last Sunday, based on Daniel chapter two, we pinpointed six more characteristics. I'm not going to run through those now. If you missed them and you want to know them, have a listen to the podcast or ask somebody during coffee who was here last week, although that's really dangerous because even if they were here last week, the likelihood is they forgot, but let's not worry about that, okay? But so far, we've identified eight characteristics. This morning, as we come to Daniel chapter three, which Vic read for us, I simply want to add one more characteristic of deep people, and here it is. Their faith is not destroyed. It's not broken by adversity. Deep people have elastic faith. I will refer to one more feature of, of deep faith, but as this morning we consider three people who stood up for their faith in a very public way, I thought this morning as three more people, Zara and Ashley and Simon, do exactly that via baptism. Stand up for their faith. I thought it would be worthwhile to just continue with this Daniel series this morning. So let me take a closer look at chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar erects, constructs this massive image of gold. 90 feet high, nine feet wide. Now, is it an image of him? Well, we don't know. It's not clear. 
actually doesn't matter whether it is or not. But what does matter is that he sets it up to be worshipped. He demands and he commands a public demonstration of adoration to be directed towards this rather grotesque image. And the consequences for not bowing down are extreme. And so everyone complies. When the music starts, everyone worships. Well, all except for three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's three friends. Now, we have an obvious and somewhat provocative question to ask. Where was Daniel? Where was Daniel in this chapter? The answer is, who knows? Text doesn't tell us, and therefore any speculation I want to suggest is unwise and unhelpful. Daniel's three friends refuse to fall down and worship this image and this idol, this counterfeit God. You see, as far as they were concerned, God and God alone deserved their complete and their entire worship. He deserved their total affection. Here were three guys who not only knew the first two commandments, Exodus 23 to 6, they didn't just know them in their heads, they lived them. They they believed them and practiced them and fleshed them out. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image of any kind and bow down and worship it. And so deep people are ruthless regarding the focus of their worship. No other God. No other God is going to solicit deep people's affection. Irrespective of how big they are, irrespective of how imposing they are, irrespective of how much pressure is applied on deep people to redirect their worship, no. Deep people are ruthless regarding the focus of their worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to be seduced. They were not going to reroute their adoration. God and God alone was going to receive their wholehearted, undiluted, unadulterated worship. And that in itself is a huge challenge. None of us sitting here this morning, none of us, are ever going to be asked to bow before a 90 foot statue. But we are going to be invited. We are going to be enticed to worship any number of gods or idols. And the list is vast, which is why the danger is so real. You see, if you allow anything or anyone to take God's place in your life, if you elevate any interest, any relationship, any commodity above God then we're guilty of breaking the first two commands. We're guilty of diluting true worship and we're guilty of playing a risky game of thrones. Deep people refuse to do that even when the consequences are extreme, even when their very lives depend on it. 
Again, the, the, the chances of any one of us being threatened, like physically threatened, for not worshiping an alternative God are slim. But maybe why this is so dangerous. Maybe it's why it's so dangerous, so insidious. Because it becomes so easy to redirect your worship whenever the stakes appear so low. Very few people are going to bat an eyelid if any one of us worships any other God. Very few people or anyone is going to call us to account if we redirect our worship from God and God alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are committed worshipers of God. People of deep faith are, and this morning, this is my prayer for Sarah. This is my prayer for Ashley. This is my prayer for Simon, that as they publicly confess their faith through baptism, they will retain the single-minded devotion to God that they are expressing before every single one of us here today that they'll never lose that. That as other gods compete for their affection, they will take these three guys as their example and say, no, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to worship any counterfeit God. Deep people worship God and God alone. Let me ask you this question again. How deep is your faith. Are other gods competing for your worship, for your heart, and are they winning? Back to the story, Nebuchadnezzar's furious. And so he summons the three rebels and, and the tension kind of reaches fever pitch whenever he organizes a private worship service just for the three of them. And he says, right, you're here now before me. You see, whenever the band strikes up the first note, you have a choice to make. I'm going to give you another chance. And so whenever the band strikes up the note with all those instruments, if you bow down and you worship, well, then well and good. But you see, if you don't, if you don't, then there's a furnace that awaits you. And what God will be able to save you then? What he really meant is, listen, see, at that point, no God will bail you out. It's a massive challenge. This is an intensely testing moment. This is a faith-stretching trial. This is an adverse situation that threatens to destroy them, literally destroy them. So how do they react? How do they respond? Well, listen again to some of the most poignant, courageous, heart-searching words of all Scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar, we, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand, your majesty, but even if he does not. We want you to know that we'll not serve your gods. We won't worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, here are three guys whose faith 
is unshakable. They sincerely believe God can save them, but even if he doesn't, even if he chooses not to, he is still God. And so they won't buy. They won't compromise. They won't reduce their worship of God, no matter what the outcome, deliverance or death. They're still going to trust. They're still going to believe. They're still going to hold on. They're going to remain faithful in the face of full-on, full-force adversity. Their faith may be stretched, and oh my goodness, it is being stretched. But it's not going to be broken. It's not going to be broken by what they're going through. And their attitude and their stance and their decision is profoundly challenging. And I say that speaking personally. How deep, how elastic is your faith? Many of us here find ourselves, and we will find ourselves, in faith-stretching situations. Whenever the pressure to just bail out, cave in, walk away, it's intense, it's all too real. Whenever, unless God shows up, whenever, unless God delivers us, whenever, unless God rescues us, we're not sure we can do this anymore. We're not sure we can hang in any longer. We're not sure we can trust anymore. Our trust does have borders. People of deep faith have a faith that is willing to be stretched but not broken by adversity. And what is it that makes a faith like that possible? What is it that enabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say what they did and then follow through with it, even to the point where they were willing to die? There's probably any number of reasons, but for the sake of time this morning, let me mention one. Elastic faith is possible because it's rooted in who God is. It's not rooted in the believer, but it's rooted in the believed. It's a faith that's located and anchored in the person of God. It's a faith that is shaped by the character of God, not by circumstances. Those whose faith will hold in the day of trial and in the face of adversity are those who know who God is. It's those who have confidence in who God is. It's those who trust in who God is, that God is good. And his love endures forever. And that he's kind. And that he is sovereign. And that he is almighty. And he is supreme. And he is in control. And I realize that those are big statements, but it's what comes through. It's what that screams at us from this chapter in the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, to pre are prepared to face their present circumstances, 
take the heat literally. And if God rescues them, great. But if not, they still believe that God is good. They still believe his love endures forever. They still believe he's in control. They still believe he's supreme. They still believe he's sovereign. They still believe he's kind. They still believe he's gracious. And so they're not backing down. They're standing firm. Yes, their faith is being stretched, as many of our faiths are this morning. Stretched. They're not breaking. No matter what. Because they know who God is. And you know, God could save. And God could heal. God could fix. And God could restore us, sort out that relationship that we're struggling with, deal with that problem. But you know something? Even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still good. I'm going to still trust him. And so let me ask you, what's your fiery furnace this morning? What are you staring at today and you're just longing for God to deliver you from? The reality is God could. God might. But then again, he might not. And so the question is, how elastic is your faith? I quickly finish the story. Nebuchadnezzar's now even more furious. And so he has them thrown into the furnace and he turns the thermostat up. And the three friends fall in. They're bound and they're tied. And then something amazing grabs the king's attention because he sees four men walking around unbound and unharmed. And the fourth man, he says, looks like a son of the gods. And so he calls Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego out and they walk free without so much as a, a singe mark on their skin or clothes. And then just like last week, what does he do? He praises God. This pagan king worships God. And he affirms these three men's trust. He says, listen, guys, you were prepared to die. You were willing to die. Rather than compromise your worship. You were willing to surrender your very lives rather than bow before counterfeit gods. And he goes further, he issues this decree and he says, do you know something? I'm going to establish a respect for their God in this land and anyone who disrespects their God is going to be cut into pieces and their houses raised to the ground. And there's been quite a lot of discussion and debate regarding the identity of the fourth man in the furnace. Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar describes him as a son of the gods. In verse 28, he actually says, God sent an angel. Many people have subsequently suggested it was Jesus. But you know something? It's impossible to be dogmatic. The critical issue is that God was actually there with them, for them, in some form that looked like a man. But it was God who was there in the furnace, in the heat of the moment, in the adversity. And that is still where I find God. 
that's still where you find God. Not necessarily saving us from our troubles, but absolutely in them. And so as I finish, let me go back to the opening questions. How does adversity affect your faith? Is your faith capable of being stretched without breaking no matter what? Do you this morning trust God irrespective of your circumstances and pressure? And your answer to those questions will depend on your commitment to God. It will depend on your trust of God and your refusal to bow down and worship any other God. Deep people are those kind of people wholehearted worshipers whose faith is elastic. It's not broken by adversity. Zara, Simon, and Ashley, may you be those kind of people. May you be those kind of people.